You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. Being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? So, I guess we're going to start off this episode, Rich, with uh, a little bit of somber sad news uh as everybody else has already known uh last friday it was announced that chadwick boseman passed away after battling colon cancer for four years and i just wanted to bring it up like we record this on monday but it comes out on saturday and it's it's still really fresh for us so just just wanted you know it it reminded me of when paul walker died and I I just I remember talking to you and, and being like, why does this seem to be affecting me more than any other celebrity? And you were like, it's just because it's because he's young. Like it's they're younger actors, and you don't expect them to be pulled, you know, from life so soon. So it just puts mortality more in your face. Mm-hmm. So I I think that's exactly why this one's affecting me more than you know other actors or celebrities. Usually, celebrity deaths don't really affect me all that much. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I am not huge into the you know basketball or or the sports ball or sports world or whatever you want to call it. But I mean, it was pretty shocking when like Kobe Bryant died. And you're right again. It's 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 the subtlety of it, right? It's it's that like in your face fragility of life type situation. And I think especially with with Chadwick Boseman as well is because, you know, nobody really knew, at least as fans, I don't know if people close to him and, and his family and stuff might have known, but like anyone really outside of that didn't know. Like he, he never made it public from my understanding that he was battling colon cancer. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's just jarring. It's It's jarring and it's shocking and it feels like it came out of nowhere. And I think the other side of that equation too is, you know, for him as an actor, at least in, in my interpretation, it felt like he was just starting to really like take off and become like an identifiable household name because of like Black Panther and stuff. He'd been in, you know, a, numerous movies before that, but I feel like that really kind of put him at the forefront of, of people's minds. And then oh. it's, you know, he's, he passed away and it's like, it's just so jarring because you're like, oh, this is somebody that was about to have you know, another 40 years or more making, you know, films. And it's just a a light that's extinguished too early and, and you know, a skill set and a talent that uh, really had just an infinite of possibilities to continue to go forward with. And so I think that kind of also makes it uh, harder as well, you know. And uh, our our special guest today, not, not, not that he has anything to do with Chadwick Boseman, but uh, Steven, who is also part of the Geekly Media family, uh, is joining us today. And he actually got to go back and rewatch uh, Black Panther and part of Get On Up. Uh, I, I, I did also, I, I started to watch uh, The Five Bloods. The Five Bloods. Nice. Yeah. So with, you know, did, 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 did the news of his passing like affect you in rewatching those? Like the, the idea of his, his death? Most definitely. I mean, I love Black Panther. It's in my top three for the, the MCU in general. Um, but I don't know. There was something 
special about the certain portrayal. It, it sounds like the same thing anyone says after someone dies or right, whatever. Right. But it's it's not even it's not that in any way, shape, or form. I couldn't care less about this happening to so many people or anything. You know. Right. Um. Like that's a part of life. Mm-hmm. Um. But. For this one, like I feel like he made a big difference, and so I wanted to go back and revisit the stuff. And I can't imagine the insane amount of weight that you would feel choosing what roles you take on in that part of your life. And I think he chose to pick very important roles for pretty much all of his last films. Yeah, yeah, and and like he did make three or he is at least part of three of the most highest grossing movies of all time, black Panther, infinity war in game. So I, I assume like, I assume that that, that was, that's helped sets up the family, his, his, his family for, you know, his passing and to take care of them and stuff like that. And the other movies that he chose to do in the little bit of time that he knew that he was, he was going to have. Cause as I understand it, like he, he tried different, you know, treatments and surgeries and stuff like that. And <clears> just <throat> eventually decided, you know what, I'll just, I'm just gonna live, uh, the less, the last of it that I can and just, you know, enjoy. Um, he still has one more movie that is supposed to come out that he was filming. Uh, it's for Netflix. It's Ma Rainey's black bottom, I believe. Um, so, you know, there's, there's at least one more thing to look forward to from him. It's 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 seeing all those uh, information come out that like you know he was doing so much for kids at uh, cancer hospitals at the time when he knew that he was going through the exact same thing, and then mm-hmm. Richard even brought it up like that that not, not a lot of people outside of his circle are gonna know what it was that he was going through. I would assume a lot of his co-stars and directors that he worked with had to have known something because he would, if he's going through treatments and surgeries, that's, that's a lot of time away from set. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, and I don't know if this is a good thing to think or a bad thing to think, but all in my mind, all I can think about is his co-stars having to do press junkets where people are asking them about working with him and not breaking down knowing that he's going through something and they can't say something. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I, I just, um, I can only imagine that feeling at this moment. Yeah. So there was an interview with him in particular where someone asked him about, uh, training for the role of black Panther. And they were talking about like, you must've gone through so much for this, like physically. And in the interview, he's like the, the transcription of it has him laughing and saying, you don't even know. Wow. And, to look back on that kind of quote now that's that's a lot yeah uh yeah so i just wanted to get that off my chest so thank you uh both for for letting me indulge in that let's 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 get into some other stuff though um the thing richard were you a fan of the thing john carpenter's the thing uh i mean i've seen the movie it's a it's a fine movie for its times yeah i mean i was never like a diehard fan. like i was never like oh my god the thing i've gotta you know watch it again and again and again but I mean, no it's yeah it's enjoyable I, I feel like the fans of that of that movie are that kind of fans like if if you're a fan of that movie you're a big fan of that movie and you know it's a remake it was the thing from outer space or the thing from from afar or something like that a thing from beyond and uh then it got the sequel prequel uh with 
uh, Ramona Flowers in it. Why can't I think of her act- the actress's <laughs> name? I don't remember either. <laughs> uh, she's the huntress now, so that's a thing. Uh, but uh, they, uh, John Carpenter apparently is in talks to turn it into a series. So this, I believe, like quintessential 80s horror film that does a lot for the genre uh is now going to get turned into a mini series or limited series uh episodic show i mean how do you feel i mean yeah how do you how do how do both of you feel about that well first off was it uh, uh mary elizabeth winstead that's that her name mary elizabeth her? winstead <laughs> Um, I, I, you know, honestly, I'm not really too shocked by this. I, I mean, if you would have said this maybe five or six years ago, perhaps, but I mean, this definitely seems to be coming a larger and larger trend in, in, you know, the film industry and, uh, even the streaming industry, you know what I mean? So I don't think it's really that, that shocking at all. Um, it's, it's funny too, because obviously movies have their place, but ideally, I think most stories can be told better through like limited series because you get so much more time. So you can craft in so much more additional layers and details and these little nuances that people, you know, love. And and you're right. I think the first one uh, was in 80. Well, not the first one, but the, the thing was in 82. Uh, so, I mean, it is a little interesting that we would finally be getting kind of coming back to it this this much later i think the remake was like 2011 2010 something like that so um yeah but i'm not surprised i'm not really surprised by it what about you i mean steven are you are you like a cult fan because that's how i would describe them cult fans of horror or the thing in general but yeah you know the the fans of these things are very much fans (laughs) it's not just a fan it's the full word they're fanatics yeah um no i'm never surprised by any new adaptation of anything uh, I think when I was a kid, there'd be so many times when when there was a new adaptation of something that was about to come out, you would see the original version of it was in public domain. So it would end up in the dollar stores and stuff as DVDs. Uh, like right around the time that I Am Legend was coming out, there mm-hmm. was Omega Man mm-hmm. and whatnot um, that were all there for dollar DVDs. And as a little poor kid, I was like, yes, please, I'll take all of these. So I, it just seemed like it was just a part of normal movie making did you know I mean, th- even the oceans franchise like what? even that goes back to like what the 20s or the 30s uh not that far uh oceans the original oceans 11 with frank sinatra is like whenever frank sinatra is yeah 56 like 50, okay yeah like it, it goes farther back and that's it's such an interesting one for some people when they went to make the the newest one was it oceans 8 was the one yes with sandra bullock yeah, everyone was like, "What? How could you?" It's like, eh. it's yeah. kind of like when people get mad about a new adaptation of Power Rangers. Like, <laughs> guys, it's it's annualized. <laughs> uh, just bringing up uh, Omega Man and I Am Legend. Did you know there was yet another knockoff that combines the two called I Am Omega with Mark Dacascos? <laughs> really? <No>. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just figured I'd throw that out there. This is didn't know that, but now I'm kind of curious. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like I'll watch this. <laughs> uh, I just don't know how that that particular 
IP is going to benefit from the longer storytelling, the longer form storytelling of, of serialized or limited series. Um, I think the, 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 the limit of two hours kind of makes it that much more anxious in that you need to figure out who the thing is <clears throat> spreading, like drawing it out over more than likely 10 episodes, 10 to 12 episodes. It might get a little stale in the middle. I don't know. Maybe they might be able to build the suspense more, but I, I just, they probably move locations a little bit instead of like, just staying in the one Arctic, whatever. Yeah, like maybe there's like a, another base kind of thing, and they explore that stuff like in one with the sequel and the prequel mm-hmm. kind of together. Yeah. Is my guess. That's yeah, possible. I mean, the other the other thing too that like kind of jumps out at me is just the way that kind of like n- narrative is written differently for film and and like television. Like where film usually focuses more around like the reactions of a protagonist to obstacles and events, like narrative television is traditionally more about relationships. And so like when you think about the cast of the thing, like it's originally pretty, pretty large, right? There's like a lot of people because you have to kill off a bunch of people. So there's gotta be, you know, you gotta have a lot of people so you can have a high body count in a horror movie, right? So I think there are all these characters that we didn't get as much of a deep dive into kind of their relationships and things like that in the movies because it's certain like built around the monster and the tension. I would imagine doing it as a show and also having already made that movie, right? Like he's probably going to want to explore a different interpretation of how those characters are interacting and like what their relationships are versus, you know, just the events that are kind of propelling them to make choices, if that makes any sort of sense. So I almost feel like if, if it's done, it's, it's going to be kind of completely different in, in the sense of how you would, maybe approach it. And that might not be a good thing. I mean, if you're fans of the old movie and you are fanatical, like as, you know, as Steven is describing, um, someone coming in and kind of doing something uh, quite a bit different, they might not, it might not be a good thing, but uh, I don't know. It would definitely be intriguing to see how this unfolds. (laughs) So speaking of other trends, uh, right now is kind of trendy to adapt Stephen King stuff. Uh, we have the return of, uh, 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 oh, what is it? Well, we just had it. We had, um, Castle Rock, Castle Rock. Yeah. All that stuff. That was the, the eighties, uh, also had the same trend of Stephen King adaptations. We're going into this. We just oh, we, Doctor Sleep. That was the one that I was talking about, mm. which was directed by Mike Flanagan. And Mike Flanagan's second season of uh, the Haunting of Bly Manor. Well, it was the Haunting of Hill House. Now it's the Haunting of Bly Manor. Like, did either one of you get to your chance to check out the Haunting of Hill House? No. Uh, I have seen bits and pieces of it. I haven't finished it. Uh, I think I've seen maybe the first two or three episodes. Mm, okay. Yeah. I mean. I was super intrigued by the way that that movie was story told. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the story was told in that because uh, it very much goes around and you see, you know, the story from one point of view and then it comes back in later episodes to t- show you like, oh, what you weren't paying attention to, like was this and how it was from someone else's point of view and stuff. Uh, I hope that's more of that in this and Mike Flanagan has kind of become the new 
Like I'm adapting everything that is Stephen King. Like I know Hill House is not Stephen King and stuff like that, but he's kind of the he's been doing that a lot. So is there a particular like Stephen King story that you would either two of you like to to see made? Like are are either one of you Stephen King fans? No. I yeah, I gotta say, uh as growing up super wicked dyslexic, uh I I really was not an avid reader uh up until I guess fairly recently, which which honestly is more audiobook driven, um, which I guess is still a form of reading depending upon who you talk to, right? No, it, it's um, real. It's real. Speaking yeah. of, as a cast member of Geek Elite's only book podcast, <laughs> I, I pretty much exclusively take things in as audiobooks at this point in my life. I have to multitask. That's all, all right. right. Well, there we go. I was going to get into that, Stephen. As as being a part of Love of Pages, like, do you guys do or have any plans to do horror uh, literature? Not that anyone ha- not that anyone's brought up right now, but I think it would be a good idea just as we get closer to October. Okay, so. <laughs> Uh, but nothing Stephen King wise, like particular. I've never enjoyed Stephen King's writing. Oh, at, absolutely at all. I've tried. There's something about it. Um, it's not that he's missing any kind of descriptions, or he like he doesn't he doesn't get stuck gilding the lily or anything like that. It's just, it's not fun <laughs> for me. Um, it's it, like I've never been able to really put my finger on it. He's not doing any of the cardinal sins where he sets up something and doesn't pay off. Um, he doesn't linger on something for too long. Character interactions don't make up too much of something where events don't move forward. It's none of those things. It's just not fun. Is there? Is there? Do either one of you have any like reasoning to why the his his IP get, keeps getting ad, adapted? Like why why is it? I mean, some of it hits big, some of it doesn't. Like Gerald's Game, though it was on Netflix, is praised as being really good. Uh, for this one, I, I think this is, it's just sheer numbers, man. Okay. I he mean, puts out so many books <laughs> and he still has a name. So it's going to happen. You, you, you throw a, like a dart at a wall that's pl- plastered with all of the New York times bestsellers and you're going to hit a Stephen King book to get adapted <laughs> from time to time. Yeah. That's, that's, that was my whole thing too. Uh, it, it, I think it's just a sure volume. You know, it's like you said, I, I, I have a hard time thinking of any, writer that has put out the volume of work that Stephen King has managed to do and he's still living, which I mean is, you know what I'm saying? Like that's absolutely Mm -hmm. wild that most of that happened like early to mid of his career. I mean, that's absolutely bonkers, but uh, yeah, I I, I think there is like, you know, Stephen saying it has a lot to do with the bankability, like regardless of whether or not we are Stephen King fans is irrelevant. Like he has a mass amount of fans. He's put out a tremendous amount of, of work and like diverse work too, because I mean, there's so many people that don't even know stories like the green mile are his, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's not that he just writes horror either where uh, a lot of authors seem to get stuck uh, into specific genre, you know? So I think he has just this broad spectrum and then, you know, bankability to his name. I mean, that's why he had to release Green Mile under a different name, right? Because people yeah. pigeon-toed him into just being the horror guy. Mm-hmm. The, the compliment I will give to Stephen King is that pretty much everyone else who wrote any kind of massive amount of fiction or anything uh, over the past few decades, as they get older, they all start writing military fiction and he has not done that. <laughs> I appreciate it. 
Uh, what the last thing I wanted to bring up is like this past weekend was well the world finally got to see a movie that was three years in the release making. Uh, New Mutants finally made its way to to theaters. You know, despite the fact that we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, like I can understand it going to theaters in other countries uh, that have you know done done much better job of handling this and keeping uh, their people well but uh no we we also released it and i kind of think of it as as since this is a fox movie right it was a fox movie before disney bought it uh before they bought they bought fox and then disney now owned this movie but they didn't really have to pay to have it made so to speak Mm -hmm. so this is their way of testing like we can put let's put out a movie, see how well it does, see if people go to the theaters, and then we'll know if we can have people watch uh Black Widow in the theaters, like the movie that we paid for, and <laughs> you know if it if it's a thing like yeah are, is it the same audience like the core audience, yeah, but is it really the same audience? No, like people go to see an m c u movie at this point uh or a Marvel movie at this point like the last X-Men movie was not in a pandemic and did not do well. So uh, the, the X-Men brand is just not where it was in, in the early 2000s. So early Sunday morning, I get a text message from Steven <laughs> that wants me to know like, hey, did you know about this? And uh, how'd, that, how'd that text message go, Steven? So I, the thing that spurred it, um, first, like I, I woke up early in the morning and I'm looking at, at different things and I see that New Mutants is heavily being suggested to me <laughs> by my news aggregate kind of service. Uh, and so the first thing that you see is their their numbers for how their weekend was kind of thing. I think that they made what, like three million was pretty I much think, the box I think the, the box office came out, it came in at eight million. If I understand. Oh really? I think. Well, at least that was what it was projected. Yeah, I had read seven million. Like I, the article I had read was New Mutants number one opening at the box office <laughs> with seven million dollars, and I was like, well, that's not super difficult when you're the only movie in like a <laughs> exactly. year to come out. Yeah, I'd, I'd be super curious to see like the the amount of concessions sold in that time and tickets sold. Like they probably made the same amount of money, but. No, um, the the other thing that was associated with this was a hefty bit of controversy about the actual content of the movie. Um, obviously, they had issues leading up to the actual release of the movie. Some people took umbrage with some of the casting. Um, there is the normal thing for comic book stuff where there are pre-established characters, where they feel that characters were whitewashed or otherwise misrepresented. But that one, honestly, as I said to Mitch, it's unfortunately just kind of par for the course. Um, so unless something else egregious pops up, that will be the most that we hear about it, really. Um, but for the actual dialogue content of the movie, Magic, um, was it uh, Ileana is her name, I believe? Right, played yeah. by Anna Taylor-Joy or Anya mm-hmm. Taylor-Joy. Yeah. Uh, she has some real some real rough dialogue with her and uh, a couple characters in there. Um, specifically one character. Uh, so she's talking to a character who's native. Um, and she says, um, some of the dialogue exchanges are, uh, you don't know how to grow wheat, do you? No. Uh, what kind of Indian are you, Cheyenne? Uh, I wasn't actually asking. 
and she just like walks away from the character like just being a butthole which is fine that that one by itself she's being an ass right that's like it's a douche move but whatever um and then in another part she says this isn't a hospital pocahontas it's a cage and so she's specifically saying this other thing and then later on the one that i think is the most ridiculous of the things is that she she says hey standing rock you want a buffalo wing your people love buffalo don't you <laughs> see and what kind of like edgelord ass dialogue <laughs> were they trying to go for i don't i i know i didn't read a lot of new mutants as comic books like i didn't i didn't read that much of, of that particular brand of x-men um and I don't know much about magic or Ileana Rasputin, but mm-hmm. I don't remember any of her being just blatant, like, like racist for the sake of shock kind of thing. Yeah. None of what I know of the character feels like that. Like I recall in this manner, I also like even just reading those lines, I feel gross, man. <laughs> I feel like a person on the internet who's like, you're talking about other people throwing around racial slurs and you like, you were like, do I say the actual slur or do I say like some abbreviation of it? Like I feel nasty saying that like standing rock is such a specific thing to call out that I don't feel like a person of magic's age <laughs> or whatever, like sheltered upbringing that she had would throw that around in this manner. Plus you have to take into account. And I think you, you hit on it earlier. Uh, the fact that they, the casting they did for was it uh da costa and uh celia reyes dr celia reyes like both are supposed to be afro latinx characters uh mm-hmm. and they both kind of got whitewashed a little like celia reyes is is played by alice braga and she's does not have the afro part of the their character's original depiction as well as uh sunspot like it was a big part of his comic book history that the way he looked and being part of brazil and how he was a rich like his family was rich even though being of like dark skin uh ethnicity would not it was not something that was normal for Mm -hmm. the area of brazil that he he was in so that it's weird to take that away and yeah, just kind of, I guess when people brought it up to him, like they just, the they director, brushed it off. Hard. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The director just brushed, brushed it off hard. Like, do you know what else Josh Boone has done? I, I know I know the name. He's doing the stand. I know that for CBS or CBS all access, which is I once don't. again, Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. Stephen King and heavy rotation for the adaptations right now. <laughs> no, I just, it's, it's a really interesting one to see. Um, there's other stuff in there that in her dialogue that's not necessarily just racially motivated. That's also questionable dialogue. There's another part where she's kind of like poking fun at like uh, rape and some other things that are in there. So it's just, it, I, I feel like maybe that they thought these moments were going to go over in a more comedic way, mm-hmm. possibly. Like I, I don't know if anyone feels any certain kind of license to make edgier jokes or something like that uh, after the existence of Deadpool. And this is just a real big whiff. Real big. I think Josh Boone also did uh, The Fault in Our Stars. Oh. I think. What a leap. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, you're probably right. I I don't I just I I don't know. I never saw the fault in our stars. So, uh, like, did either one of you have an interest in watching this movie? No. <laughs> no. Visually, I did want to see specifically some of the way that the powers were handled in this one, but that's pretty much it. Like, I'll be served by gifts on the internet. <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of only became interested in watching this movie just because of the constant uh, delays. Like the the the, mm. the gimmick of that, I guess, was what was really spurning me to to check that movie out. Um, obviously, did not go to the theater to watch it because. I don't want to get sick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have our have our theaters even opened? Arizona theaters have opened. Okay. Yeah. So. See, there's tells you how much I'm in the loop. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> I I do feel a little bit more likely to go see something at a place like um, Alamo Draft House, for example, as opposed to something like a Harkins or an IMAX or something like that. But I'm still not going to go do that. I mean the. The, the draw to an Al- Alamo da- draft house is that you get to eat at that. So that's more people like unmasked for longer periods of time. Yeah. It's just what they talked about for their capacity, I believe was that it was like a third of the capacity and an Alamo draft house is already pretty spacious. True. You're seating. So it just seems a little bit more likely, but I'm not trying to be in any confined space. <laughs> not for two plus hours. <laughs> no, and and honestly, that kind of um, it sucks in a way, right? Because like Tenet's coming out, like uh, obviously it's been delayed a bunch of times, but it's still getting ready to come out, and like it is gonna suck if I miss the opportunity because that's a movie that I feel like you do need to see in a theater. But I, again, I'm not gonna risk it. I'm not gonna be like, well, throw caution to the wind. Let's go see what happens. No, <laughs> but it, it, like if they don't re-release it to theaters like later on, like that is gonna suck. I. As a person who has a VR headset, I've I'm in a spot where I'm just like, no, just give it to me at home. I'll watch it on my headset because <laughs> it projects it on a massive screen in front of me. That's true, but but I don't know. For me, it's not <laughs> just the the screen. It's like you know, it's also that Dolby Atmos surround sound and mm-hmm. like just the overall like almost religious nature of being in the theater for me. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't even go that often anymore. I, I really hadn't been going that much since before the pandemic just because there wasn't a lot coming out that I wanted to watch. But, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think for now a VR headset and some good headphones will do, <laughs> will do but it does suck not to be able to, uh, maybe we'll just have to like, see if like, after this is all over, we can all pool money together and like rent a theater for a day and then just like rent a bunch of prints of, of movies to watch in like a private theater or something. Oh, the whole I'm day. I'm not against this at all. <laughs> I mean, why not? Screw it, man. I mean, they are there are places that are doing like you can rent the theater for 150 bucks kind of thing. So I mean, that's not bad. No, that's not that's not bad at all. You just have to make it to where those places are. Hmm. Uh, okay, so our big part of the show today is going to be talking about uh, a review of HBO Max's An American Pickle, starring Seth Rogen and Seth Rogen. Yeah. <laughs> this one came highly, highly recommended to me by Steven himself. So I that's a big reason why I wanted him to be on this episode. Uh I I uh I told Richard to watch it because I was like, you know what? This sounds interesting. And honestly, I think there's gotta be some interesting um filming 
to be done on this because you have Seth Rogen playing against himself. And from what I understand, they shot all of the Herschel parts and then went back and shot all of the Ben parts because Seth Rogen has a giant beard <laughs> as Herschel <laughs> that is his own. It's not makeup. That's his own beard. So uh, they had to, as I understand it, they had to be very vigilant in where they marked off everything, come back two weeks later, shoot same places so that you know, shoot the same places, same time so that, uh, uh, you know, lighting looks the same and stuff like that for, uh, the Ben character as opposed to the Herschel character. Like, did any of you guys go and watch the behind the scenes footage that was out there? I did not. So mm-hmm. what, what kind of gems were in there for that? So they, they went to big lengths to mark off their locations where they were shooting. Obviously they shot everything with the beard first. They didn't have him shoot it bare faced. And then he grew a beard in two weeks. I believe he can grow a beard fast, just not that fast. Uh, but no, the way that they went and they marked off their stuff was in some situations they were putting down UV markers of some sort and then other spots where they were hammering nails into concrete Wow! to lock off where a shot was uh, just across the city. There was a guy who was a body double, which is a standard practice for anything like this. Yeah. Uh, and there's parts where you see the guy have little like track, like motion tracker parts, uh, dots put on his face, but I don't think they used those often just judging from the way the movie actually looks. There's one scene in particular in particular where they show, they shot him on green screen, and it's pretty obvious which is, are the green screen shots when they had them. Um, but the biggest one that I think is the most easily identifiable is when they're walking to the graveyard to go visit it for the first time with both of the two, uh, two of them together, and you see them standing next to each other, and the lighting's just not quite right for a person who's being lit by the sun from behind. It's, I mean, I, I don't personally pick up on a lot of that. Um, I just think it's super cool that you can get one actor to play two characters side by side and you don't have to have that middle line anymore that you used to see a lot in the 80s when they had those action movies like Van Damme and Double Impact or uh, Jackie Chan and Twin Dragons. Like there's always that line right in the middle of, <clears throat> you know, some arbitrary thing. It's it's either a light post or it just happens to be super dark right there between the two of them for some reason. Like the shadows just could not make it past or the light couldn't make it past that particular shadow. So mm-hmm. like there's the part at towards the end of the movie i believe where like uh herschel slaps ben on the back like he's basically telling him he's proud of him like i know that's not something new like we saw that in multiplicity with michael keaton and they talk a lot about that like how they did that got got done but it looks so seamless now they did a good job the the one that always pokes out in my mind for an older example of it is in back to the future yes where there's all the characters that he's playing uh-huh um there's a scene that didn't quite make it into the final cut that was really, it was just packed with it. And there's a, there was like, I think a few months back, uh, a pre-composite kind of version of that that got released. And the things that they were trying to do to trick you, like, no, they're really existing in the same space. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> and, and you know, for a movie that posits that a man can come out of a brine a, a you know a vat of brine after a hundred years and be perfectly preserved and alive 
I accept that premise for some reason. But it comes oh, to the third we- act when Ben gets deported because he's Herschel. It, or because they say he's Herschel, and you know they go through this whole courtroom thing where, you know, he has a beard. Herschel or Herschel has a beard. Ben doesn't have a beard. These are two different people. I'm just like, do they have the same fingerprints? Like I understand that Herschel's fingerprints wouldn't be on file, but Ben's would. So I, I don't know well, about you. They actually yeah. both would be on file because they both did get arrested earlier in the movie. There you go. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't. So for for you, Rich, like, did you did you take the part in the beginning where they try to excuse any logic? They <laughs> they tell you to check the logic at the door very quickly in the movie. They do. Well, well, first off, I would just like to give a huge shout out to Scott Peterson and Mark Venezuela as they are the script and continuity team. So that's the script supervisor and the script assistant. Because holy cow, I would not want their job on this movie because uh, it would be an absolute nightmare. Um, I think the other thing that's important to remember is traditionally, whenever you take a screenwriting class, one of the first things they tell you is reality doesn't matter. The only thing that has to matter is the rules of the world that you're crafting. And this movie is a great example of how true that is, because, (laughs) yeah, he falls very Joker-esque into a (laughs) vat of cucumbers with brine. And then wakes up fine. And all the cucumbers that are in the vat are still cucumbers. They didn't even pickle in the 100 years. And there's still water and everything in there. But I'm like, you know what? Who cares? Let's go for the journey. Like, let's see where it goes. You do, you know, like you do. You just totally dismiss it and and go along with the story, and it and it it's fine. You know, it's and then they even kind of do poke fun of it because they have like the scene where the doctors are talking. And like one of the reporters are like, you've got to be kidding. That's not, what's the science on this? And basically they're like, we don't know. Who cares? Like he survived. He's here, you know? Like, no, no, no. That's that the, the opposite. way they present it is Herschel with the voiceover. And he says, like the doctor explained with the fantastic science and everyone accepted it. And then everyone looks at each other and goes, oh, no, yeah, it makes sense. That's all, that, that all checks <laughs> out. That's all science. It works. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. Like I said, I I accept that. Like I'm like, all right, that works. And even though the scene before that is this toy drone that flies into a building and then is has enough power to move the the top of that uh, that vat that wooden vat. That's a, that's a DJI drone. Two things about that one. All they did was put some glowy shit on the like the the props basically, uh, and they had it hit. I think it could have done that because those things are crazy uh, and they are hefty. And then two, it would have also broken immediately into a thousand pieces. <laughs> but like you have to imagine that this, the top to this vat had to have been airtight to keep him preserved. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. That, and that, then it was also heavy enough that he himself couldn't mm-hmm. just push it up and out of the well, way. Also the fact that he falls in and and there's obviously people around that's that would have heard him fall in but no one says a thing about it and then just they close it up and they say condemned like right away the rat uprising yes the giant rat is what freaked about the most no one talks about that scene and how wonderful it is in all the conversation online no one talks about the fact that he's like oh Oh, and he's running away from these rats. They're like, oh, we're going to get you. You came in the wrong hood, motherfucker. Like, it's it, this is one of my favorite comedies in recent memory, honestly. 
And I did not see it coming. Well, it's almost like they need a sequel follow-up to this that's called, like, Fievel Goes to the Future. And it's like one of the rats also fell in the vat with him. And now he's coming out to, you know, 100 years, 110 years in the future to exact his revenge on, on Herschel, you know? I want it to be known, Seth Rogen. I will watch this movie also. Please, thank you. <laughs> I was also surprised to find out that Seth Rogen only uh, produced this. Like, I assume that he also written it, but it's it's got its own screenplay uh, writer and and director. So it, it, it was originally based on a short story. Yeah, and they honestly, to their credit, they also called that short story out heavily in like the actual credits. It's not something that's super buried or anything. It's one of the most upfront things in the credits and that's really cool to see speaking of uh up front in in the beginning i almost got mad at steven when this movie started because it starts off in four by three like i hate i hate it when they play with the aspect ratio so much why though i don't know i just don't care for it like it's a to me it's a lazy storytelling like uh device this one I'll say, Mitch, did you notice the effect around the frame during it that makes it look like an old photo like plate? Yeah, I get it. I, I, That's I understand. wonderful. No. It should be black and white then also. Like the idea that it's 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 pretty it's, oh, it's it looks this way because it's old timey. No, mm-hmm. that's dumb. I'm sorry. I am not watching through a Victrola. Like just fucking put it in four by three. I want it to also be known, uh, Seth Rogen. I will watch a Victrola version of this film. Please, thank you. <laughs> oh, can we just get like the animated one where it's like an actual pickle too? I mean, this is like we'll just like this is what like musicians do. They just they take songs and then they read like distribute an entire album with the same song that's done thirty different ways, and they just call them remixes. Like, why are we getting film remixes? Why has that never been a thing that's happened? I mean, yes, please. you're kind of are like, that's what the reboots and remakes and reimaginings are like, sort I, of. I just want to get to the place where we are indeed taking live action things and making them into animated versions. That would be cool. I would be down with this. I mean, you got lower decks, yeah, but that's, but it's not, it's not an adaptation of like a pre-existing film. Oh, that's okay. then made into like a, an animated thing. Like, I think we've seen from the quality of the Disney remakes that have come out that the animation is superior. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the film, though. I mean, was was there anything that was anything particularly egregious or ridiculous as far as the comedy went? Where you were just like, I don't. Why am I doing this to myself? No, there was nothing for me particular that I was just like, Why am I doing this? I I enjoyed it while I watched it. I'll, I'll give you that. There were there were parts where I laughed, but there was no part where I was like side splitting laughing. Like I was expecting a little bit more of that. W- one part that just was super cringy to me was everybody loving those pickles. <laughs> Even after the part where they're like, Oh yeah, I just you know gutter water. Like I just pick these cucumbers from the trash the jars are from the trash and and the water has bird feces in it and people know this but they're still going by and buying it because it's artisanal and it's williamsburg and just like oh this is so gross i believe it through and through if i if i go to a taco stand somewhere and the the part behind the grill is too clean 
I don't know if I'm in. They've been focusing too much on their cleaning and not enough on the cooking. <laughs> Damn those, you know, health food violations and places. <laughs> and then the, the mean, whole... Is there actually bird poop in there? I mean, like, he was collecting rainwater. I mean, like, would it actually have... Like, what are the odds bird would have actually pooped in one of them? He said it himself. He said it's from gutters, from rain gutters that he collected it. So that he even says there's poop in there. There's bird poop. Yeah, but how would he know what, like... You know what I mean? Like he, we saw the scene. He's, it's just rainwater. He's out in the middle of an open park. That's just one day. Like he, he's been doing it for a couple, couple weeks there while he was I mean, amassing yeah, his fortune. Water. Why would you go get water out of a gutter if it's raining? You would just use the rainwater. Like he doesn't have a house. He's living outside. That's that makes that's so much more effort to go get water out of a gutter than it was to just open the jar. I, I would also put out there. It's probably well within the acceptable limits for anything that ends up in our normal food. Yeah. Like it's, it's totally fine. They're just mad that he worked outside the system. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of working outside the system, hiring unpaid interns and everybody I, does that. No, I know. And I love the fact that they call out, you mean slaves? And he's like, no, 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 we don't mean slaves. He's like, well, you kind of do like that is exactly what an unpaid intern is. It is, terrible and then when clara like at the end is like thank you for the experience in education and then walks over to the other side of the protesters and starts protesting him like that was perfect Uh, there's a lot in this one that is still also social commentary but not in the way that i think a lot of other films like this in the past in like 80s or 90s that we've had obviously we've had plenty of like fish out of water films um that are less ridiculous kind of plots than this where they lean on pretty lazy kind of jokes i really really expected him to be a lot more racist a lot more sexist and other things like that because that is so normal for a movie where you would put this kind of character forward so i give this movie so much credit for not just doing that i mean that's that's fair i mean they have a whole the whole scenes when ben is trying to take down herschel is all about that but i i get what you're saying it it could have been a lot more yeah, like he he says some he like he'll say a couple things, but none of it is like oh my god while you're watching it. There's no part where they show the thing. They'll have him say something, and he's like, "Well, yeah, no, like polio alarm <laughs> or whatever <laughs> kind of thing." And then uh, you're like, "Oh no, yeah, no, Herschel's I mean, from a different no, time. It's no new mutants, that's for sure." <laughs> <laughs> it's just I, I think we, we've seen things like this in like um, even coming to America, you know had plenty of examples of like leaning on lazy fish out of water kind of things. Oh yeah. Well, I, I, to be fair though, I also think that some of that has to do with culturally where everyone was at at those times as well. Because if you go back and watch coming to America, I mean, that was very much at a time where comedians could do whatever they want. And like Mm -hmm. now you can't really even do that. I mean that, you know, even comedy nowadays, like there's so many times where people just get super offended by it, that a lot of comics like are, dialing down or you know walking back everything they're doing so but again i I agree with you i think that's a smart call on on the writing team and and on seth and everyone involved for not like just laying on that as a crutch to kind of like try to bring some sort of humor to it they look for other sources um I think that's the other thing that I really liked about this movie too is like i didn't really know anything going into it i had no idea what to expect um but it it feels like something different for seth rogan 
you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like kind of playing both parts. And like, I think it was like this little opportunity to kind of show some different sides of himself and some range and stuff that he has that I think traditionally he doesn't really uh, get the opportunity to, or maybe he doesn't want to do, but uh, I, I really appreciated that aspect of the film. And I think that made it uh, more enjoyable for me as well. Did, did this, this movie actually hit you guys in the feels the kids would say at any point? Cause it, I do find, I found it working for me on that kind of level. And I don't know if that's just because I'm getting older or what the thing is for this, but I can't say that there are a lot of movies where I'm like, you know, I should call my mom. <laughs> no, you know, I, 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 and, and that's the big thing at the end is the, the boot bop thing. Like that's and and and, but that's, I guess that was my, my thing throughout the whole movie. Like, I don't understand what this movie is trying to give me as a moral. Like, is it just that family is so important? Because because normally in these in these fish out of water time movies, where you have someone from the far past come to modern day, it's all about well, the modern day person needs to civilize the past person, but the the past person needs to teach the modern day person to be more of a uh, old timey, old fashioned uh, morals kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Herschel doesn't really have that. I mean, I guess in the the idea of if you have a dream, keep pushing for it, kind of thing. But other than that, they the two of them don't really learn anything from each other. Like they don't. I don't know. That th- that was my issue with it, and it doesn't come to the very end where where he finds the the picture that Ben drew as a kid, and. I don't know. Like, is it Ben re-gets back into his religion? Is that what I'm supposed to get from this movie? Like, I should be going back to church? Like, I don't know. I do have thoughts on this one. I I don't know if this one played this way for you guys, but I feel like it's supposed to be a heightened, like, allegory metaphor for a person and their parents, even though his parents are gone in this one. I think it's supposed to show this generational difference. Um, again, it is a meeting in the middle, like so many of the other stories of this type, but it's more about like the, the commonality of things versus any person trying to come to the other person's way of thinking. Even though there are a couple examples of that where Herschel directly says, I mean, I said a lot of bad things. <laughs> like, uh, I, th- I think it's more about the commonality of people versus anyone needing to change necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I could see that, and, but I, I agree, and I do think they learned from each other in, in some capacities as well, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think, you know, Herschel did learn some stuff about kind of how he has to interact in modern society, and I think he brought a certain, I don't know, intepre- uh, I can't even say the word, intrepidation, maybe is the wrong word, but um, kind of like instilled this, like, you have to go out and get what you want, and you have to be willing to work for it, kind of that, like, you know, uh, line in Hamilton where he's like, immigrants, we get the job done. You know what I mean? It's like he's going to go out there and he's going to do whatever he has to do to accomplish, you know, what he's setting his mind to. And, it, you know, I think that's kind of the point is that, like, the younger generation is kind of always seen as having lost that. And there's that moment at the end where Herschel acknowledges that he didn't lose it because he was working on the 
the bebop or bop beep or whatever it was. <laughs> the boop bops. The boop bops, yeah. But he was, you know, he was afraid to move forward with it, you know, because of disappointing his family. It wasn't because he was like trying to be lazy or whatever. And that's like a huge thing that like we have in our society now. It's like, oh, millennials and generation after them, they're all lazy and they all want handouts and blah, blah, blah. And so I think there's a little bit of, of commentary on that where they are kind of trying to do those two things, you know? <laughs> I just, I just, I, there wasn't enough payoff for me at the end. That was, that was my biggest downfall for this movie. I fully do understand that one. Like I, the small moments in this one, I think are much more my kind of viewer than you are kind of viewer possibly. <laughs> Cause like the part where she just takes a bite out of the fish in the beginning, <laughs> and like uh, Herschel, there's a part where he's trying to amp Ben up and he's like, sell your boot pops. You know, <laughs> like it's just, there's something about those moments where it just cracked me up. <laughs> I, I guess like, I also would wanted like more of why it is that Ben had such a hard time I mean, not that you need to have more of a reason for, you know, having to get over your parents' death, untimely mm-hmm. death in a car accident, but I feel like there was more story there that we didn't get. It's interesting possibility. Which is the possible thing that was just left on the cutting room yeah, floor. Because well, they I'm w- sure that they also did plan this movie out very stringently. <laughs> I mean, they went for, I mean, they, they it ends up being an hour and a half, right? Like, they obviously had to have cut out a lot, but... There's also a lot of filming to do when you have to redo every scene. Yeah. Yeah, that is insane. One thing I did love, though, and I'll tell you this, is watching Herschel fight all those construction workers. <laughs> because, like, the idea is that he comes from a different time and a different country where he had to be a lot harder and had to, had to you know, deal with just everyday life where a big reward in your life is having your own gravestone like it's looking forward to death in that way so not having like just knocking all those guys out or you know taking on all those guys was not a big deal to him like i thought i was like that was funny i thought that was hilarious well like his there's the constant through line for him about seltzer water and cossacks (laughs) and terrible violence i bring you terrible violence yeah like i will do violence (laughs) Did you catch that uh, mid credit scene too when he's talking about, uh, what is it? Is it Yentl? Is, is Bet is Midler? Yeah. Movie, no, not right? Bet Midler. It's oh, Barbara no, Streisand. What, say the name again? Barbara Streisand. That's the one. Thank you, Bet Midler. Babs. Like, oh, this Babs. She's she's very attractive. She she looks like a young woman, but or she <laughs> looks like a young boy, but she's actually a young woman. It's very it's very naughty. And he's like, yeah, through your eyes, this is very naughty. Yeah. And I like the like the enthusiasm for Ben and that one. He's like, yeah, man. I'm like, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, again, that was the kind of joke that I expected to make up so much of things. Because again, the character he would come into now, and you'd see a person just walking down the street on a hot day and be like, oh my god, they're wearing less than I've ever seen a woman wear. And I'm a father. Like, I expected a lot more of that. And so even the example of that that they had in the movie was still relatively tame in and of itself. I just thought this was a great indictment of the idea that you can't make a comedy that's even dealing with tone or like uh, themes that were dealt with before and have it fit now entirely fine. It's I if, if anyone were to go up and say, you can't make a movie because everything's too politically correct, I would just point to this movie. Yeah, that, that that that's absolutely correct. Like you can you 
this is the, this is how you make that movie now. <clears throat> so, uh, do either one of you? I mean, obviously Steven does, <laughs> but do you really want to see more in this universe? No, I don't. Okay, <laughs> this is good. It's fine. Yeah, I, I think we've I think we've said everything we needed to say with American Pickle. If I had to take a guess, I mean, I would be shocked if there was more of these, but. Was there any? Was there anything from the 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 that we haven't discussed yet, Richard, from the filmmaking side of it that really piqued you? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say there was anything that really piqued me. I mean, it's it's technically shot well, right? Um, I know you don't like the whole aspect ratio thing. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. I totally understand why people do that. It's it's very. Um, effective tool at creating a cinematic language for your viewership, right? I mean, uh, especially when it comes to, like, timelines and stuff. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, there's not, it's not like anything is wrong in it. I, I think it would be a logistical nightmare to to <laughs> film this movie. I, I don't think I personally would want to have done it, and I applaud everyone involved because I think it's a pretty big... Uh, undertaking from that standpoint, but but yeah, I mean it's it's a good movie. It looks good, like it's it's shot very well. Like, uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There wasn't anything that like caught me off guard or blew me out of the water, but you know it it's done well. And I and to come back to that four by three aspect ratio thing, like I did enjoy at the end that they come they when they do the the credits, it's it's the the plate credits that you would have saw in picture films uh you're moving pictures back in the day so mm-hmm. uh that was interesting but yeah i don't i don't care when you decide to make four by three wes anderson movies <laughs> well to be fair he if you're talking about most of his movies he traditionally has used a lot of different uh formats so not just four by three and zach snyder is the the champion of the four by three apparently now? What is it one sixty six one or whatever for or, Justice League? Is the actual aspect ratio they're saying? <laughs> God, just made up nonsense. <laughs> All right, uh, Steven, since you're our guest, where is it that people can find you online? You can find me all across social media as Peppermint Gent or Peppermint Gentleman. Thank you again for uh, bringing this movie to our attention to make sure that we watch it. And uh, it was a joy to have you on. Thank you for actually watching this movie. I I don't feel like anyone else has really watched it. So this is very fun for me. (laughs) Richard, where can people find you online? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at Ray Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N. Or you can find me on Twitch.tv, Ray Cohen and the number one. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Mitchipedia, G-E-N-G-E-M, stands for... Geek Elite Media. Uh, the rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Facebook. Nope. At Geek Elite Media on Twitter. At Geek Elite Media on Instagram. And Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network on our website, geekelitemedia.com. That's where you can hear more of Stephen's voice. Uh, listener beware. <laughs> uh, if you are willing to give up some of your hard-earned dollars, we have a Patreon page. Please go over there. We have lots of exclusive material. Uh, I mean, there there are three tiers, three sincere tiers that you can be a part of. There is one 
joked here, but if you want to donate a thousand dollars a month to our, our Patreon, you can. It's there. It just it, it's just it's not serious though for that one. I think if you donate a thousand dollars a month, Steven will make some pickles and send them to you. <laughs> I will do it in a heartbeat. Real Real Arizona desert pickles. I don't know if we're gonna get any rain for rainwater, but no, maybe- we're we're in we're in uh the, yeah, yeah exactly. So, are you guys actually getting any? Because we're not hitting getting any down here. Oh no, yeah, oh, we yeah. definitely. Oh, yeah. Well, then you should start collecting it. <laughs> so you <can> get those. <laughs> we might, you might want to check. I think it's actually illegal to collect rainwater here, but you might want to check first. I don't know. Uh, there are <laughs> there are states where that's that's true. I don't know if Arizona yeah. is one. Uh, you get, you feel like the one jar? Like that's gonna happen in like a plant pot on accident. <laughs> I mean, I would be like, prove it. I'd be like, prove that that's rainwater. Prove it. <laughs> If you, uh, whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us, please rate and review us so that you can help spread the word of our network and get more, help us get more listeners. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Media Network saying, always remember to geek out. Geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Ding.